Turn to Job chapter 38. We're going to hit 36 and 37 extremely briefly as we go through the introduction. And I'll give you a little bit why on that. But as I thought about these chapters and where we're headed now, uh, I thought a lot about that hymn, How Great Thou Art. I thought a lot about Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. I didn't know there was honey in that psalm when I wrote and I picked it out, but it kind of works. And not only that, but at the end of that psalm, in the midst of thinking about how God, great God is, the psalmist cries out, keep me from presumptuous sins. That's Job. That's where Job falls into. Not only that, but he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Because the words of my mouth, and that's what gets Job in trouble, will indicate where my heart is. But the thing is, God sees past those words to the very root of where the problem is in the heart. And all that was for free. As we get into Job chapter 36 and 37, Elihu is going to talk about God's goodness and his great majesty. And we're not going to spend a lot of time there because God is going to take that springboard and he is going to just build on that topic in a way that Elihu does not take the time to do. But God is good. God is great. God is majestic. In fact, if you have the time, I encourage you to look at chapter 36, verses 22 through 37, 18, where Elihu just breaks out in a great doxology praising God for who he is and for what he does and for how he works. But as Elihu finishes his speech, he has really brought a transition into the whole book of Job. And some of you are saying, hallelujah, I've been waiting for a transition for about 30 chapters. Can't we get this to the point? Because Job's friends, we've talked many times, they just didn't get it right. They they weren't able to properly diagnose what Job's real problem was. And that's an issue in many of our lives. And we're going to talk about it more next week, especially as God brings the proper diagnosis into Job's life for what his spiritual problem is. Often we treat symptoms. You know, we say, oh, I'm discouraged, so we go to the Psalms, and you should, but the discouragement is a symptom. Or it gets worse, and I'm depressed, and so we go back to the Psalms or someplace again to read, but the depression is a symptom, it's a symptom of a heart problem often, and Job, is, he's got those symptoms. Job is discouraged. Job is depressed. And his friends are trying to diagnose what is the core issue. You know, if you go to the doctor, do you want him to treat the symptom or the problem? You know, if you take your, your head cold to the doctor, what does he treat? Symptoms. It's miraculous. Ten days after working on the symptoms, usually your cold goes away. I tell you, if you don't go to the doctor 10 days after the symptoms start, probably miraculously your cold's going to go away. But in the meantime, there's stuff we could take for the symptoms that make the symptoms go away. But if you quit taking it, all the sore throat comes back, the coughing, the sniffling, the stuff he had, it all comes back because the problem's still there. And Job has to do more than just deal with the symptoms. Job is going to have to deal with the root problem. And God is going to take Job from a place of... Almost arrogance with God, saying, God, it's not my fault. To Job, here's the problem. Now you need to take the medicine. And we're going to see how Job reacts to that. And so we get to all these things with Elihu leading us into that. Remember, Elihu is the one who shifts the issue from what Job did before all this happened to what Job has said and done since his problems happened. And Elihu looked and said, Job, I don't know if you're innocent or guilty from before all this happened, but I know one thing now. I've listened to your words, and you are guilty of sin by the way you've reacted to the circumstances in your life. And he finishes all this. Turn to chapter 37. 
Job chapter 37, Elihu finishes his whole discussion with this, beginning in verse 23. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power, justice and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Who's that message for? Job's gotten, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't. I remember my grandmother who looked at me, and she used to use this phrase too often with me, I guess. You know when you're with your grandparents? When grandkids are with their grandparents, they get pretty bold. They ask for things they shouldn't ask for. They try to do things they know they'd never get away with at home. And what do grandparents do? Shame on you. You let them get away with it. I'm a grandfather now. It's so much fun. I can feed candy to my grandkids five minutes before dinner. And they love me. Their mama doesn't love me for that, but they love me for that. But as we look at this, my grandmother, when she'd had enough, she would look at me and say, and she would use my, when my grandmother wanted to get my attention, she would use my full name, Russell Kevin. You are getting too big for your britches. She didn't know how prophetic she was, but she wasn't talking about my weight. And when we look at Job, you know, my grandmother could have written Job chapter 37, verses 23 and 24, because Elihu looks at Job and says, Job, in the face of an almighty God, you're getting too big for your britches. Now, has Job handled that kind of stuff from his other friends very well? Job has argued with his friends until he was exhausted arguing with his friends. Until at the end of chapter 31, he said, Job finally quit. He said his final word, but Job wasn't in agreement. When Elihu finishes, it's interesting because Job either is really finished and he's not going to say anything more, or God just decides, Job, you don't need to answer that. Let me tell you why you're too big for your britches. And so it brings us to this section, Job, who do you think you are? Anybody ever ask you that question before? Now, it's usually not because we're struggling from amnesia, is it? Who do you think you are? Well, I think I'm... No, we've overstepped. You ever overstep at work and have a supervisor? Say, who do you think you are? Now, sometimes a little too arrogantly, but who do you think you are? As parents, if you haven't had the opportunity as a parent now, and those of you who have little ones, I'm sorry to tell you this, but there's a day when those kids are going to step way over the line. And how are you going to deal with them? Are you going to deal with the problems? And, and my parents would look at me and say, "Who?" Did, my mom especially. When my mom said, who do you think you are? Nobody. Sorry, I don't know what I did, but I'm already confessing now. It was too late. The spoon was coming out, and I was going to get it on the, the seat of knowledge. But at that point, when my mom said, who do you think you are? I knew there's a problem here. I guess I've overstepped just a little too far. It was more than a toe over the line. I stepped fully over. And Job has stepped way over the line with God at this point. And so remember this. God started this whole thing, and God's going to end it. God started it all the way back in Job chapter 1 and 2. The problem is, who doesn't know about how God started it? Job has been ignorant for this whole book. And Job is going to leave this book with no more knowledge of how it started than he has now. But God's also going to finish it. God is speaking in Job chapter 1 and 2. And God's going to be speaking now at the end of the book. And when God speaks, you ever hear that commercial? It's kind of old now, but when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. You know, the young people are going to go, EF who? But I remember hearing that as a kid. It's for whatever reason, well, when God speaks, Job's finally going to listen. And that's what we get to when we get to chapter 38. God is going to speak. Because it's not just Job, but life doesn't always turn out the way we expected it to. But it always turns out the way that God plans it to. Think about it for a moment. 
especially those of you who are in over past your 20s, into your 30s, 40s, 50s, some of you are just a little bit past that. <laughs> Has life turned out the way you expected it to? I, I remember when I, was, uh, when I was going to college. I went to college and I picked out my college degree that I wanted to get for one purpose. I was going to be financially independent. I was going to be rich. I took an accounting degree. I figured I can get into finance that way. I can get into corporate this and that. I can have all the things I've never had. And I graduated with an accounting degree. And I figured by age 45 or 50, I was going to be so rich, I'd be running my own company. I'm going to be spending my time in the woods. I'm going to be having a great time. And I don't have to worry about anything. And now I'm age 60 and none of that happened. In fact, before I ever graduated, God started changing my path. And things didn't happen the way I expected. You know, I was going to have a family, I was going to have a wife and a kid or two. Didn't plan on four. Changed everything. And God had a plan. And in Job's life, Job's plan was working pretty well for a while when we started the book, wasn't it? Job, Job was probably the most successful sheik in all of the East at his time. And yet... God's changed everything. So as we start out life, we really have no idea what the years are going to bring. So how do we deal with that? How do we work with that? And I like the way that Leighton Talbert put it in his book with this illustration. Some of you, Ben will like this. Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Early 1800s. They set across, to go across the, the North American continent. To go across to find what? They were looking for a waterway passage from the east to the west coast, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, because if you've got that, that just opens up everything. Trade, exploration, settlements, all of those things. And they were having a wonderful time. And their aim as they were doing that was to work with these sketchy maps. They didn't have maps like you have. They didn't even have maps like I did. Some of you remember remember the, the, the atlases you used to get? You'd stop it before Google. You know, you had to, I had to stick out. It, it was my pride and joy. It had every state in the union. Missing the lots of roads, but it had every state in the union. And then I graduated to triptychs. Anybody remember those AAA triptychs? You know, you open up to the page. That page is ready. Check it out. Hey, I'm on my way. Page two, page three. Then I realized 40 pages. This is not good. But you're traveling through. Everything's given to you. Now we just, at Google, take me here. And they turn here, turn here, oh, redirecting. It's like, whoops, missed that turn. You know, and they'll get you back where you belong. But when we go through life, we don't get that. And Mary Well, Mother Lewis and William, they didn't have that. And they, they're working their way across. And they're looking for this waterway. And suddenly they run into the Rocky Mountains, the Continental Divide. And guess what? There ain't no waterway passing through there. And it changed everything. It changed the concept of how we're going to settle the U.S. It changed the maps as they wrote it. And they were forced to reevaluate their plans and reflect things the way they needed to be reflected on the map. That's going to happen to you in life. You're going to have things all planned. You're going to think you know where you're going. It may be a little sketchy, but you've got a pretty good idea. And then suddenly you're going to run into God. The Rocky Mountains that are insurpassable. And he's going to set your path a different way. What will you do with that? It's thrown, and again, Job had, had it very, very difficult, but it threw Job totally off of his game when he ran into God. And so God is about to remind him. 
He's about to remind him who he is, about how he works. And he's going to remind us, as we look at this, what this book is all about. When I got into the book of Job, you know why I got into it? The book of Job is about, somebody whispered it, suffering. And I thought, well, you know, there's some folks that have been going through some hard times in our church. And we've gone through some hard times as a country. And it's a great time to go through the book of Job. Can I tell you, the book of Job is not about suffering. Well, we've been going through this book. This book of Job is about God. God starts the book with his plan in heaven. If you look at all, you remember all of those dialogues that we kept saying, when is pastor going to be finished with the dialogues? I've had enough dialogues. Look at those dialogues. Every one of them talks about God. And the book is going to finish with God himself speaking into the situation. This book is about God and our relationship to him as we walk through the suffering and problems of life. God doesn't just want to tell us, don't worry about suffering, I'll take care of it. God wants to tell us, keep your eyes focused on me regardless of the suffering that comes into your life. And that's a whole different issue. And that's the issue where Job fails. Job starts out wonderfully in the beginning of the book. Job has failed, and we get to all of this, and we're working through it, and we're going to say, what what do we do with this? Because God, and the way you think about God, impacts the way you live every day of your life. What you think of God, who he is, how he works, and what your relationship is to him impacts everything. Whether you show up at church on Sunday, that's impacted by your thoughts of God. Is God important enough for you to show up to listen to the preaching of his word? Or isn't he? Now, I'm not saying you can't go on vacation. But when you're laying in bed and it's a rainy morning, I hate rainy Sunday mornings. I have to get out of bed. My wife reminds me often, you're the pastor, get out of bed. But then I get out of bed and I got wet this morning going to the truck. And I thought, oh, how many people are going to stay home because it's raining out. We, we got to deal with all of these things as we're going through this, but what I think about God impacts my day. I get out of bed, not because I'm the pastor, but because God's given me a privilege of preaching the word. And I'm responsible before him. I get nervous getting up here every Sunday because I think, God, this is your message. Don't let me get it wrong. Don't let me ever say anything that doesn't square up with this book. And we ought to get into the Bible that way. And then we got to take it and say, God, and help me to apply it to my life so that what I think about God impacts my life. If God only impacts you for the next hour when you're sitting here, maybe two hours if you come for the meal afterwards, then it's not real to you. You really don't believe God is who he is. You believe God is a Sunday morning person to go appease so that hopefully he'll make the rest of your life work well. And that's what Job's friends were kind of like. They had the wrong idea who God was. And so we're looking at this and we've got to get our ideas about God right because misconceptions of God will cause us to make faulty decisions. They'll cause us to have unsettled emotions when things happen in our lives that we don't want to be there. It will lead us, misconceptions of God lead us to discouragement and depression. And it happens to good people. It happened to Job. It happened to Elijah. Look through the scriptures. Keep focused on God because if it can happen to those men, it can happen to you. And that's the whole idea that we're getting from this book. And God is looking at Job, and you know what he's telling him? He's telling Job, trust the process because you trust the creator of the process. I thought about that. I took that phrase, actually, because I've been trying to get back into better shape Uh, about November of last year, my doctor said, you know, either I'm going to put you on all these statins and all this other stuff, or you're going to get in shape. It's your choice. And I said, well, I, I run occasionally. He said, how occasionally? 
Oh, it might average out to once a week on a good month. He's like, no, I'm talking four or five times a week. Actually, seven times would be better. That's not happening. But he said, four or five times at least, he said, go get a treadmill. Why? Because if it's dark outside, if it's raining outside, if it's windy outside, if it's cold outside, if it's hot outside, you won't go. I thought, oh, he's right. I hate it when he's right. (laughs) So I I got a treadmill. And I got one that's got this screen on it. And it's actually hooked up to the internet. And there's trainers that are all over the world. My kids laugh at me because I'm like, oh, I was in Uzbekistan today running. And they're like, dad, you never left the back bedroom. But it felt like it. But the guy I like to run with is called Tony Ribs. Now, I don't think he knows the Lord. I think he knows about him. But he's got all kinds of ideas mixed in there. But he keeps saying, trust the process. Last year, just before I bought the treadmill, my son talked me into running in the turkey trot in Buffalo on Thanksgiving morning. It's a about almost five-mile run in downtown Buffalo. And he told me, Dad, you can do this. It's flat. I thought, sure, it's flat. And then they said, and we're not going to run very fast, Dad. We'll run with you. That lasted for about 45 seconds. Then I found them at the finish line. But as I got there, and I'm running at the best of my ability at that time, I realized it didn't matter if it was downhill. It wasn't going to help me for five miles. And so I looked both ways, and my kids were way up, and they couldn't see me anymore. So I started walking. You know, and there's guys, it's the turkey trot. They're dressed up like turkeys. They're dressed up like pilgrims. For a while, I walked with six Oscar Mayer wieners, and we're walking down the road, having a great time. And I thought, they're going to know I'm walking if I don't get moving again. Because they're waiting at the end. So I'd run, and I'd walk, and I'd run, and I'd walk. And I thought, if I'm going to get this treadmill, I'm going to get ready for next year. Because we're going there again this Thanksgiving. And I thought, I'm going to run the whole way. Now, I probably won't keep up with them. They're still 30 years younger than me. But I'm going to get a much better time, and I'm not walking with the Oscar Mayer Wieners this year. They're leaving them in the dust. And so I've been going through a series with this Tommy Riz guy who keeps saying, touch the process, where he starts out slow. He's got you hiking up and down inclines and doing all of this stuff. So You've got to build strength before you build speed. And it got kind of boring. I thought, look, I just want to run fast. I don't want to build strength. And he kept saying, trust the process. And then he takes me through these interval runs. And he tries to kill you. You, know, you run as hard as you can for two minutes. And then he calls it, now you relax for two minutes. And that means you run at a pace a little slower than you were killing yourself at. And so I'm sucking wind and trying to keep up. And he can say, trust the process. Trust the process. Now, I'm supposed to run a 5K this week. Not out there on my treadmill. And I'm thinking, we'll find out if your process works or not. But, you know, I started doing these workouts, and I'm fine, and I'm having an easier time doing them because it works. And God's looking at Job now, and he's saying, Job, do you trust the process? Now, I was a little skeptical with Tony. Tony's kind of a skinny guy. He's about six foot four, six foot five. I'm not a skinny guy. I'm about all five foot seven. And I'm thinking, is your process going to work for me? But what we're about to look at is God telling Job why he can trust the process in the next two chapters. And that's why these chapters are here. God's going to tell Job, there's some things you need to know about me in order to trust the process. And the Lord answers Job. Look at chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, think about that for a minute. Job has been lancing challenges at the Almighty God and saying, talk to me. Take me to court. Because I'm going to tell you, the Almighty God, how things should be instead of the way you're doing them. Think about that for a minute. You ever been there? Now, you might not have said it that way, but you ever get on your knees and tell God how he needs to do things instead of the way he's doing them? 
And, and that's where Job's been. And I thought, you know, if I'm the Almighty God, I'll talk to Job, all right. You know, I'll give Job what he's asking for. You want to be done on that planet? You're done on that planet. Now come see me. God doesn't do that. And we're going to find that God is compassionate as we go through these verses. That God is merciful, but God is almighty. God is in control. And God is very holy, and all of that's going to come in. And so God answers Job, but he answers him in what way? He answers him in a whirlwind. Job was expecting what? God, God, come talk to me. Let's do this in a civilized manner. You come into court. I'll have my case all set. You bring your case, and we'll very calmly debate this. And Job even asks for it a couple times. Now, Lord, don't bring too much power when you come. You know, don't overwhelm me. Let me give my case, because I'm right. You're going to see I'm right. And so the Lord comes, but does he come in a patient courtroom setting? God comes in a whirlwind. And you think about the way God's presence has been experienced. Think about how he was experienced in Sinai. With thunder and lightning and power and all of this. And God comes to Job somewhat in that way in the whirlwind. And Job should be filled with dread and wonder. Job should be filled with awe. We don't know what Job is for a while because Job's not going to say anything for quite a while yet. But God's going to begin a conversation with Job. Look at verses 2 through 3. Job's going to get an audience he wished he didn't have. Look at verse 2. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Who's God talking to? It says, and the Lord answered, Job. And so here's Job. And as the Lord begins to answer Job, can't you see Job in the bottom of his heart saying, finally? I'm innocent. Was Job innocent of what his friends had accused him of? Yeah, he was. And so Job's thinking, I'm going to get my opportunity in court. I'm going to be, I'm not guilty. And those friends of mine are going to have to eat crow. And this is going to be wonderful. They're going to have to see I've been right all along. And so the Lord looks out and says, Job, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's a really eloquent sentence. What did God just tell Job? Uh, Who's the foolish guy who doesn't know what he's talking about? Now, who does Job think until this moment the foolish men were that didn't know what they were talking about? You got Bildad, you got Zophar, you got Eliphaz. We don't know what he thought of Elihu. But we look at that and God looks and he says, what? Job, who's this that's been complaining to me and darkens my counsel? In other words, muddies the waters with words without knowledge. In other words, you don't know what you're talking about. How many of you like to be told after you eloquently make a statement that you don't know what you're talking about? Job has been pretty arrogant near the end of this book. He's grieving. He's struggling. But he's also very proud because he believes I'm right. And God looks at him and says, Job, you're you're wrong about some things. Job's not totally wrong. And we're going to talk about that as we go through here. But God begins by questioning him and saying... Who is this? And God is quickly again going to take this whole situation from the question of it's not why that you should be asking. Remember we talked about this long ago? God's going to underline this in the next couple chapters. It's not why. First of all, it's who. Chapter 38, 39, and 40 talk about a who. About God the Almighty. Job, you ought to be focused on me. And then not only who, but how. God the Almighty who has a plan, who's working in your life, who, just as you said he did, 
orchestrated all of this stuff that you don't like that came into your life. Your question ought not to be, why did God do this, but how should I react in the face of an almighty God? What's my next step to glorify him? And God's going to begin talking about all this as he brings him through that issue that he has in his heart. Now, God's later going to credit Job with right words. So how does that fit in with this passage? Who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Because he's going to say, God will say again in chapter 42, verse uh, verse 7, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant, servant Job has. So how can Job be speaking what is right about God and at the same time be darkening counsel with words without knowledge? What's God talking about? As Job explained, and if you read through Job's, I know sometimes some of us got lost in some of those dialogues and articles, but when you read Job's dialogues, he knows who God is. And Job's problem is not who God is. He ascribes him as being almighty. He ascribes him as being just. He ascribes him as being righteous. But then he keeps asking the question, but then how can he do this to me? Because I know he's like that, but I'm innocent. Something's gone wrong in the system. So all God has to do is declare me not guilty and fix it. And yet God's looking and he's going to say, Job, there's some issues we've got to take care of. Now remember again, Job, who boldly called God down. Come down and debate with me. I don't recommend that. And here's God's answer to Job. In the ESV, it puts it this way in verse 3. Dress for action like a man. In the, if you've got an older translation, if you've got the King James, what does it say there? Gird up your loins. And now I understand why the ESV translated it this way, because how many of you know what it means to gird up your loins? If you've, heard it taught, if you've heard it taught, you know what it means. But I don't wear the kind of stuff they wore back then. You know, I have enough trouble not beating up the microphone when I'm up here. If you put me in a long flowing robe, I'd be falling all over the stage. But that's what they used to wear, those long robes. And when they had to run, you look at Philip, when he ran up to the chariot, he girded up his loins. He took those robes and he folded them in and he tucked them in because there was work to do. When you went to battle, you had that belt of truth. They call it the belt of truth when you go through the Lord's armor, but a belt to tuck that all in because you couldn't afford to be tripping over any of that during a battle. And basically God's saying, Joe, buckle in and get ready to go. Be a man. In vernacular, my grandmother, put your big boy pants on. That's exactly what he's telling Job. He said, Job, you're about to get something you weren't expecting, so get ready. You want to debate with me? You want to tell me how your life ought to be and why I am wrong in the way that I'm doing things? He's saying, buckle in, get ready, because now you're going to have a conversation with the Almighty. And so he goes from there and he says, not only that, but he says, I will question you and you'll make it known to me. What's important about that? What did Job want to do? Job said, God, come down here so I can question you and you can make known to me what you're doing. And God says, buckle in, buddy, because I'm going to come to you. And Job, I'm going to question you. And you're going to make known to me why you are where you are right now and how you got there. Now, what's happening, do you think, at the bottom of Job's heart now? This is God. This isn't his wacky friends who can't really get their fingers on it. This is God Almighty who knows the thoughts and intents of his heart. And he says, Joe, buckle in because you're going to answer to me. And then what he does with that is one of the reasons that we spent the time in Psalm 19. You want to know who God is? It's in this book. For Job, he didn't have much of this book. But he had everything out there. 
And God says, look at the creation. Let me, let me compare creation and what I did to the way you live in my creation and what you do. And then tell me who needs to answer to whom. And that's where he's headed with Job. I, I love being out there. I, I love hunting. There's nothing like being up in a stand, 20 feet in the air, as the sun's coming up and you're watching the birds come to life. And you look down and you see the dew in the grass and it starts drying up. And you see things moving around and you see all that God's done and created. And on a little bit of a cloudy day, you get this beautiful picture of colors. Now, I'm colorblind, so I don't appreciate it as much as you. But I can see it. It's brilliant. And I think, God did that. And you watch the birds flying around. And you see the clouds billowing by. Sometimes you see it rain and you have to get out of the stand because God does that too. And yeah, I know some of the scientific principles behind that, but God set all that up. And that's just a little bit of a picture of what God's about to share with Job as he goes through all these things. And Job is going to be asked some probing questions. Now, we're not going to get all the way through this, and we're not going to spend a lot of time with the questions. Go back and read through it. It's a great read. But what is God doing here with these questions? Number one, he's going to take Job out to all of this stuff and talk about physical science out there and say, Job, this is who I am. Who are you? To put Job in his proper place. Now, as a prerequisite getting into this, can I say, this is not the place for you to have your science book to go in and learn all there is to learn about these things. And remember as we go through this, this is a passage that many people who are scientific struggle with. Because it makes it look like the earth was put down in a foundation like a house. Remember that it's Hebrew poetry. And if you're struggling with Hebrew poetry, talk to Ben. He did a whole study on it this summer. I'm sorry you missed it if you weren't here. But Hebrew poetry is very eloquent. But we know with poetry, you're trying to give out an idea, but you're, you're using pictures to do that. And God uses these pictures as he goes through here of physical science. And he's going to talk to Job about cosmology and geology and how the world came to be. And evolution's not it. He's going to talk about oceanography, vast oceanography. He's going to talk as a part of that. And I had to look this up to find out what it is. But it, it's true. Suboceanic hydrology. What in the world is that? He's like, Job, what's going on with these underground streams so far below the ocean that you can't even get there to look at? You realize we we can't travel to the bottom of the ocean to discover all that's down there because the pressure is just too much for us to bear, but God knows exactly what's going on down there. And the little bit we know about all that down there as he explains some things to Job is that God's got a whole system down there that works together to make life work. And like, God, why would you do that? We can't even see it, but God does. And it brings him pleasure. And it glorifies him. And part of what he's trying to teach Job is, you ought to be doing the same. Bringing me pleasure and glorifying me by the way you work in the system that I've given you. And so he's going to go through all these things. He's going to talk about meteorology and how the weather works. A lot of our meteorologists could use a course in that. How many times did they get it wrong? The other day, I was going, should I go out there on top of my stand and do some shooting or should I not? And I pulled up my app, a weather app. It's live. It's being updated all the time. And it says, you're going to have cloudy weather and no rain today. I thought, oh, that's going to be wonderful. And I believed it. And I got in the stand. And I shot six arrows. And I got down out of the stand. And it's just a 15, 20 foot up and down the ladder. I'm an old guy. I don't like doing it when I don't need to. I get down and I grab those six, suddenly I grab those six arrows and I see lightning. And I hear thunder. And I look at my app and it says, no rain today. You know what God sent? He sent rain. Because God does that. 
And he wanted me, to, I, I, I guess he wanted to be amused as I tried to climb up that thing in the rain to get my bow down to, to, to rescue everything. But God handles that in ways that we don't always even understand, even though we think we do. And so he's talking to Job about all these things, and he's going to ask him some questions because he's going to try to get to Job's heart where his friends didn't. He, he probes Job, and were you there? Were you there when? Because Job is telling God how he ought to work things. And so God is going to spend verses. If you look at verse 4, were you, then, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? And he talks about all that he did through creation and setting up the seas as you get into verses 8 and following. And he's asking Job, did you shut the seas in? Did you give them a boundary and say, here and no further? And Job's answer to all that is what? Well, no, of course not. What's God done? He's starting to take a man who wanted to take God to court and put him in his place. Job begins to feel very, very small in the presence of a very, very mighty God. He asks him again his experience. Have you? And he talks about the things he does throughout creation. He talks about the dawn and the evening. And we take it for granted, don't we? The sun's going to come up. Sometime tonight, right around 745, the sun's going to go down again. We can't control that. God says, have you ever controlled that, Job? Because I control that every day. When you see the sunset tonight, you ought to look out and say, God is still at work. Because that's what he's trying to get Job to do with his heart. He's going to ask you, can you? And we're going to get to some fascinating stuff. And we're not going to spend a lot of time with it, so I'm going to disappoint you. I'm not going to tell you all about Leviathan and all of those things in there. But God's going to talk about these great beasts, sea beasts and land beasts, and saying, I control them anytime I want to. Can you? And he's going to do all this stuff to get Job's attention so Job will see who he is and how he works in this massive work with God. And then chapter 38 through 39, verse 30, he's going to talk about life science. And he's going to go through all of these beasts. It's like going on a safari. Take the time to read what God talks about. But the wonderful thing about it is, as God talks about life science, he goes from his immense power when he talks about earth, when he talks about the oceans, to talking about the animals and the birds and what we see there is God's compassion so what do you mean by that look look at some of these verses 38 or 39 and 40 chapter 38 God supplies prey for the lions and satisfies their cubs with food God knows when the cubs are hungry and leads the lions to the food that they need to feed their cubs you say no it's just mother nature there is no mother nature okay it's God and God's at work he says not only that but what about the ravens When the young cry to God and wander without food, God says, I send them food. He goes on and he says here in verse chapter 39, verse 1, that one of the most intimate passages that he has there, that God's aware of wild mountain goats in labor giving birth and when deer have calves. These gentle times of life, God says, I know when every one of those things happens. Now, why is he going into all this with Job? Job used to be a rancher. God took it all away, but Job kind of knew these things, but Job knew that when they're going to give birth is out of my control. How they give birth is out of my control. If they don't give birth, I get very poor. But the rest of it, God said, do you know how, why, and when all that's going to happen? Because I do. Now, why is he telling Job that? Because Job knows, and why is he taking all this emphasis in these chapters on these minute aspects? And and we could spend weeks going through some of these things. But why does God do that when Job just wants the answer to his problems? When Job wants God to answer his questions. It's like, God, I didn't ask you about the wild mountain goats. 
You know, I didn't ask you about the weather. I didn't ask you about creation. So why is God doing all that? Because God is giving Job a picture of who he is as he gets ready to give Job a picture of how he works, as he gets ready to give Job a picture of how he works in Job's life. And he's setting the stage. And God basically is using the process and saying, Job, trust the process. You need to understand who I am before you'll understand how I work. You you need to understand how I work with all creation before you understand how I work in your life. And so he's doing all these things. And think about this. He's talking to Job, who was created in his image, and he's saying, if I care about mountain goats and deer, how much more people who are created in my image? Because what's Job's problem here? Part of it, he's looking at God and saying, God, it seems like you don't care. You took away all my finance. You took away my health. Worse than that, you took away my children. My wife's cursed me. I have nothing left, God. You don't care. And God's looking and saying, Job, I care. I care to the depths that you don't even understand how much I care. If I care about animals like that, how much more about people who have the potential to be the children of God? How much more for those who are so much more valuable? Jesus Christ put it this way, if I care for the little sparrows, how much more will I care for you? Why are you worrying? Job was wondering and Job was worried. Job was a mess. And so God is bringing him back to the place that I am a compassionate God. And he takes him to chapter 40. And we're going to finish here this morning. Look over at Job chapter 40. God's ultimate question in all this to Job. To Job, why am I telling you this? Why am I bringing you here? One, to show you who I am. And two, to ask you this question. Chapter 40, verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. He brings Job to this point, and he looks Job, as it were, in the eye, and he says, what? Shall a fault finder, that's a nice term too, what's he saying? Job, you're complaining. You ever complain to God? We've got interesting ways of couching it and making it sound very spiritual in our prayer requests. But you ever go to God and complain and basically say, God, I don't like what you're doing in my life. Fix it. Change it. Take it away. For your glory, Amen. But we do that because we don't like what God's doing. And God looks and says, okay, you found fault with me, Job. You've actually made it look like I'm not righteous and just. And you are by the way that you found fault with me. So now you're going to answer me. Did Job plan on saying anything else? We go back to chapter 30. And Job's, and Job's words were ended. Now he's just waiting for God to say, Job, you're not guilty. Now God said, Job, you're guilty. And he said, now I want you to answer me. What will Job's answer be? Does Job still feel like he was innocent of anything that caused his problems? Yeah, he does. So look at what Job says. God's at work, so don't discount that. But chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, we're going to conclude here. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? Is Job making progress? Job's gone from come to the court of law and I'm going to win my case against God and you're going to declare me not guilty. To what? God, I'm so small, I got, I've got nothing to say. But it's not true. Because look at his next phrase. I, nothing to say, God, I'm so small, but I've spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And if you follow that back into where Job had spoken, he uses those phrases to say, I've spoken once to say that I am innocent. 
talking to his friend. I've spoken twice to say that I'm innocent. I'm not covering this again. And he still has the audacity to say, God, I know I'm very small in the scope of things. And almost under his breath, but I've spoken once and I've spoken twice and I'm still innocent. And that's why we're going to have chapter 40. Because God's going to deal with his control in Job's life to bring him to the point where he sees things as God sees them. What do we do with all this? As we ponder these questions, as we see God's ultimate question and in Job's reaction, what do we do with all this? Number one, we need to realize that God has a plan and God knows what's going on. Even when you don't feel like God's paying attention, God knows what's going on. And God is the same compassionate God that he described in these chapters who's working in your life even when it doesn't feel like he's the compassionate God working in your life. Secondly, remember that God is in control. It's not happening in your life unless God allows it. Even all of this stuff. Who did Job think took away all this stuff from him? So God did this. Now, logistically, who did God allow to do that? Satan did that. But Satan did it under whose authority? God told him he could. He can say, you can go this far and no further. That's the almighty God. And Job was where he was because God dictated to Satan what he could do in order to test Job's faith. And Job did so well at the beginning, but Job's struggling now because his mind's at work, because his emotions are involved. And God's going to work through that in the next chapter. And then finally, our job is not to question or correct or suggest a better plan to God, but to trust. Why did God spend all this time reminding Job of who he was? Because he wanted Job to realize, Job, I am the almighty God who is powerful, who is in control, but is also compassionate and cares. Trust me. Trust the process and see where I'll take you. And in our lives, no matter what you're going through, can I encourage you this week, remember that we serve an almighty God who's in control, but he's compassionate. He loves you. And he's saying, trust me. Trust my process. And see what I want to do in your lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this look at Job. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of an almighty God. If I were God and I'm not, I probably wouldn't have been patient enough to spend two chapters explaining to Job one more time who I am. And yet you did. You did for his faith to grow. You did to bring him where he needs to be. You did to bring him where he's going to be at the end of this book. Where he finally needs to come to grips with who he is before God. Lord, I pray that you'll do that in our lives. I pray that we won't be stubborn and questioning, but Lord, help us to trust your process in our lives and to lean on an everlasting almighty God regardless of what we're going through, knowing you have our good at heart. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.